Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Contact flight. Okay, engine stop. APA at a descent. Boat control, both auto, descent, engine command override off. Engine arm off. 13 is in. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. The Eagle has landed. Ned Kelly's reputation sullied by a rolling stone. Aussie newspapers sink to a new low. Last drinks for the Kennedy's presidential ambitions. And justice is served on the unluckiest bank robber. I'm Michael Adams. I'm Mick Luby. And this week we're going way back to the fourth week of July, 1969. So, a pretty big week in news and history, Mr. Luby. Oh, it's astronomical, you could say. You could, and you just did, so it's too late to go back. I did, I did, didn't I? I couldn't yes. help myself. You lunatic. Well, it is that time, isn't it? It's that time of, uh, well, in civilization, this is, this is a high point. We are, of course, talking about, just in case you've missed all of the commemorations and celebrations and recollections, what are we talking about? We're talking about mankind on the moon. We landed on the moon this week, and by we, we're talking pretty generally here, we did it. We all got to the moon, because that was how it felt, I think. So I was born in June of 1970, you were born in January of 1969, so I'm post-moon landing, but you're pre-moon landing. Yeah. Tell us what it was like. Yeah, yeah no need to rub it in, but uh, I was exactly six months old, sitting on my mum's knee, watching it on a, you know, a fuzzy black and white telly. And what do you remember? Oh, it was, it was awesome. I just remember, I remember thinking, geez, terrible picture, terrible sound. Safe to say, I was probably pooing my pants just like Mission Control. I think they really were actually. You listen to the audio, and after he says the eagle has landed. Roger, twink. tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. And well, if you watch the doco too, the, where they've synced up the they after many decades, they synced up the audio to the vision of Mission Control, and quite a few of them light up smokes. They literally go. Oh my God, we did it! And they lean back and light up a smoke. Fair enough, too. Mm. So they land on the moon. Mm. Good deal. Uh, well, they get there, but so they've blasted off from Kennedy Space Center in Florida a few days earlier on July 16th. So in our week, there it's just beginning that they are getting ready to go for a bit of a walk. But they are just the two of them because Michael Collins is up orbiting the moon so he doesn't get down to the surface so he drew the short straw and he's going around around the moon while these two headed down in the lunar module mm. but this is after they've traveled three hundred and eighty thousand kilometers in three days and then they've got into their lunar orbit so as this week begins we've got armstrong and aldrin headed down to the surface of the moon and that takes them three hours and that's where we get the eagle has landed and they touch down in a sea of tranquility 
the surf is not up. Of course, even more incredible is that they got them off there and back home mm. safely. If anyone didn't know that, spoiler alert. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> that was it. They weren't quite home until they were plucked out of the water. Mm. Like that was also, you know, they could have burnt up on re-entry. They could mm. have gone sunk mm. as into the ocean and drowned. I mean, anywhere, yeah, anywhere along that journey, it was terrifying. But I love the idea that they've landed on the moon. They're parked there. In their little park there. How was park. They, did they get a park all right? They got a, they got a nice park. Mm-hmm. Well, that, well, that was the hairy moment where Neil Armstrong was directing the module down and he had to actually shift it sideways to make sure it landed just right. Neil and Buzz get suited up and they step out by Australian Eastern Standard Time. The moonwalk happened at lunchtime on Monday, July the 21st in the US. It was a Sunday morning. And I love the fact that Neil Armstrong's relieved parents were interviewed outside church after the walk, still in their Sunday best. And his mum, Viola, said, I hope this increases man's concept of God. But I love the fact that his mother, you know, came out with that line because I guess a few, I guess a lot of people would be feeling the same way at the time. Well, I think President Nixon went a little mm. bit further. When, yeah, when Tricky Dicky greeted the Apollo crew on their return, he said, this is the greatest week in the history of the world since creation. Evangelist Billy Graham said, no, President Nixon, you are wrong to say that the moon landing is the most significant event since the creation. He pointed out three other events which were greater. The first Christmas, when the creator of the universe came to dwell among men on this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The day on which Christ died for the sins of the world. And the first Easter when he came back. Right. So the full franchise. The full franchise, yep. Yeah, but I, right. I guess the moon landing came in at number four with a bullet. The president was even able to get his signature on the plaque that's up there on the moon. So really? he's all right. Yeah. So we've got a bit, little little bit of Nixon on the moon. Yep. Yep. He's got his autograph up there with the, with the quote. Um, so they unveiled a plaque in their two and a half hour walk around on the moon. Here, men from the planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969 AD. We came in peace for all mankind. AD, that will mean a yes. lot to the yes, intergalactic travellers. Yeah, so it includes a picture of the Earth and the signatures of the three astronauts and Tricky Dicky. On the plaque. On the plaque. Wow, yeah. picture of the Earth, that's helpful because the of the Earth, in case right? they don't, can't see it, just over that way. Yeah, it's kind of a map and they could you know, look over their shoulder and say, oh, oh hey, they come from that. there, right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So if they get here, they'll mm. be saying take us to your Richard Nixon. They will They will be. And they'll be very disappointed to find out. Yeah, yeah. We want to meet Neil. They'll be disappointed there. Buzz, too. though, 89. Buzz, Buzz still going. Buzz is still flying. He Buzz was flying still, recently. He's still buzzing. Yeah. yeah. He's fantastic in Toy Story series. He was. As for what it was like getting about on the moon, never wondered what it'd be like. Well, like being on a really slow trampoline, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. What's I the think... gravity? It's about one-sixth of Earth. They look like they're kind of like just... Hopping. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Michael Jackson made the moonwalk look pretty easy. Because mm. it clearly would not have been. They've got weighted moon boots, so yeah. they've got lead in their boots. I'm not sure how Michael Jackson's moonwalk got called It's a bit the moonwalk, because it's nothing like the footage of walking on the moon. You kind of true. be a moon bounce yeah. or a moon hop. Yeah, you do know anyone who watched the actual moon mm. hop, mm. which is exactly what... Aldrin did call it, but after all the trouble of getting there, you sort of think they're prepared to try it, and they knew had some idea of the difficulty. 
And on the physics of moonwalking, Armstrong said, you have to be careful where the center of mass is, like a football player. You have to get to the side and cut a little bit. I have no idea. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> all do love that there was a sporting analogy. Used. That's right. That's it. Seems all American in that sense. Aldrin described it better, especially for Australians. He said it's the so-called kangaroo hop, but it does work. I was going to say it's a little bit like being a slow-motion kangaroo, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. Uh, our Buzz, he had some other nice stuff about walking around. He said getting around on the moon was like walking on moist talcum powder, which I thought was. Quite evocative. How often had he walked around on moist talcum powder, one wonders? In the change rooms? But it's better than what Neil Armstrong's mum feared after church again on the moon. She spent a lot of time at church, this woman. I guess that is understandable. She was probably packing it. I would I'd if I was yeah, if I was Neil's mum, I would have spent a fair bit of time. So yeah, this praying. this is what could convert you. This is what might bring you to God. It, yeah, mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah. She was quoted as saying, I was worried that the moon might be too soft and they might sink in too deeply. Poor dear, imagine lying on, there yeah. thinking yeah. my boy's gonna just hop out of the module and go <laughs> straight in. Bye, Mountable. <laughs> God, he really put his mother through hell, didn't he? His first words on the moon. Mm-hmm. You know them, I'm guessing you know them. I don't know that I do. You don't? Well, there's the famous quote, which is subject to some speculation as to whether he said it's one small step for a man and that ah was cut out of the broadcast. It wasn't received on Earth, so mm. the quote became different. Mm. There is also the joke about Mr. Gorski. Oh, how's that go? He said, it's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Good luck, Mr. Gorski. That's the urban legend slash joke. When he was a kid, supposedly, he lived next to a family called the Gorskis and one day he threw his ball and went over the fence and he was retrieving it and he heard Mrs. Gorski say to Mr. Gorski, I will give you a blowjob when that skinny kid next door walks on the moon. Very nice. (laughs) Very untrue, but a good story. So they just, yeah, they ended that one out for family viewing. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That was the up late version. Yeah. So what were his first words? Well, no, you're, you're quite right. But uh, they've analysed the audio and they said nothing was cut out. Right. And it may have been his, his accent. Okay, but that's what he intended. down south accent that he just sort of squashed the, the A. Right. A man. But that was his intent. He's always said, no, I did say A man. I did say one small step for A man. And his mum said, A man. Buzz Aldrin's first words? Uh, one small step for the second man? Oh, no. Yeah, he could have gone there, but he didn't. He said, beautiful view, magnificent desolation. Wow. He was a bit more of a poet, Buzz. He was. Yeah. It was the title of his autobiography. Magnificent Maybe. Desolation. Mm. Could be of a newless existentialist streak, hasn't he? I think Buzz does. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of which, his name. Do you know where Buzz came from? Liked eight coffees a day. <laughs> Buzz cut. Nice try. Nice try again. Not named after Toy Story. I, no, I no, that would have been quite odd. Time traveling and space traveling. He uh, at, was he was given as a boy by his sister, who was younger and couldn't pronounce brother, so she went with Buzzard. That got shortened. They thought, well, Buzzard, you know, it's a bit harsh. We'll call him Buzz. Lucky he so, wasn't uh, in Australia because he would have been Buzzo. Buzzo, mate. Yeah. Wow, yeah. there you go. Buzzard. Hmm. In full, Buzzard Aldrin. 
So the eagle had landed carrying a buzzard. Hey, yeah, very good, very good. And it returned to Earth to be rescued by the hornet. Wow. Yeah, when it splashed down a few hundred nautical miles from Hawaii. Uh, the other thing Neil did on the moon was to make the world's longest, or the universe's longest, or maybe Earth's longest and moon's longest telephone call to Nixon. And he said... Uh, you just had a chat. I can see your house from here. Uh, yeah, he can I interest it. you in long distance savings? I know I've used that joke before, but this is the longest distance. You have used that before. So the longest hey, distance phone it. call. Yeah, yeah, mm. he did. Nixon had a chat, was brief. Nixon also had another line ready to go that his speechwriters had prepared for him just in case things didn't work out so well for Neil and Buzz and Michael. If the, uh, if the astronauts got stranded up there, the line would have been, fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. It's quite a spine-tingling line. Mm. Imagine how different the world would be if that had happened. Mm. Would it I, mean, be... I actually got chills hearing that. That's really right. quite profound. Yeah, it's pretty... And horrific. Imagine knowing if they, they... I guess the astronauts may well have known that those sort of lines were pre-written but thanks to Neil's mum's prayers, all was fine. They did leave a few things up there. So poo bag? Uh, yeah, poo bag. They've got quite a lot of shit. Endurance containers, uh, air sickness bags, moon boots, a camera, a US flag, a gilded olive branch, and a mirror. Why the mirror? Hmm. Makeup. <laughs> no, and a clapper, a clapperboard and a script oh. a call sheet mm. some empty film cans yeah a Starbucks coffee so they, cup <laughs> so they actually did fake the moon landing mm. but they faked it on the moon yeah yeah settle down that's settle a, down that's a double that's a conspiracy <laughs> conspiracy the, the mirror was pointed at earth as part of a laser project and it went on to prove that the moon is moving away from the earth and provides a kind of inconvenient truth for anyone pushing the moon landing it was a hoax thing. What would, the, what would the intergalactic travellers make of that collection of items? There's a poo bag, mm. bottles of piss, mm. there's a gilded olive branch, a mirror. But it looked, it looked like a great big piss up. It know, would. Party that, be up like the, we've heard the Rolling Stones music over the intergalactic radio waves, but we didn't realise they toured the moon. There you go, yeah. And the footprints everywhere as well, stamped all over the place, just bang, 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 bang. Mm. It would look, yeah, it would look like there'd been a great big full moon party. The, uh, the coming home trip was really hairy, and they knew this from the start. To get home, they had to go through Earth's atmosphere in their little cone-shaped command capsule. So they ditched the serv main service module, and they're travelling at 40,000 kilometres an hour, so it's pretty fast. Yeah, it's pretty fast. They couldn't just hurtle straight in because if they go come in too fast, they just burn up and they return to Earth as chunks of charcoal. Come in too shallow at too great an angle, and you would have them bouncing off the atmosphere like a skipping stone. So after a heart-in-mouth silence of several minutes, when all communications dropped out, imagine that back on mission control. Mm -hmm. They're like, "Yes, we're going. All right, we're going to head through. Here we go. Here we go." Silence for several minutes, and then. Mission Control, finally they're back on. They get word that the crew had made it through and were all okay. So they, so it's eight days after liftoff, they splash down. So eight, eight long days mm. and they're back. 
floating there in the ocean to be picked up by uh, the USS Hornet. Not many people know that they were sealed up into a mobile quarantine chamber, though, Michael. Because of the space germs. Space germs. So they got the official welcome from President Nixon back home, and this is one of my favourites, and it set up one of the most bizarre photos. It is effectively the three astronauts in what looks like a caravan staring out of a window at Nixon. And seriously, it looks like the Ghostbusters, the three, it looks like three Ghostbusters staring out of like a, um, a caravan at a Richard Nixon impersonator. And that was because they had to stay in there until they were de- de-germed. They were in there for weeks because, you know, you sort of think they splashed down party time, but no, much of the world was, you know, ready to celebrate with them. What but, did they do? Well, where they were headed was not exactly party central. A day before Splashdown, this science writer explained NASA's protocol for men from the moon. And oh, they're from the moon now. Jeez. From the moon. Well, they were. They came from the moon. Oh, right? I see. I from just the moon. thought they just like, decided, like, we're now, we are, it's like you go overseas and yeah. you've been there two weeks and it's like, yeah, I'm a local. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. They've got a moon, right? something got a moon accent. You go to Bali, you know, you, mm. yeah, you're in the moon. They came back from moon feeling pretty moony. Mm-hmm. Uh, so needless to say, Australian customs have got nothing on, on the NASA kind of protocol. The headline was space heroes to be treated like lepers. <laughs> wow. Mm. When the moon travellers drop back to Earth in the Pacific on Friday, they will be given a bizarre welcome. Almost before one can say leper, they will be bundled they will be bundled into bags, disinfected, and hustled into an impenetrable medical purda. He uses the word purda. I had to look that one up. It's like Muslim uh, and Hindu uh, tradition of separating men from women. Strange word. A medical Herder, culminating in a two-week stay with the moon samples and their ship in the most exotic prison ever built, the 8.5 million Lunar Receiving Laboratory, LRL, at Houston. Wow. Yeah. So although the biologists rated the chance of moon bugs, moon germs, contaminating the Earth at tens or hundreds of thousands, millions to one, that was still a chance. It was still you know, remote, but it was possible. So just possibly... Some of these bugs, if there are any, could be brought back to Earth, escape and come to life. So the scenarios actually read like a horror movie. Well, that was Michael S- Crichton, The right. Andromeda Strain, which I believe was written that very year. Oh, really? Well, there you go. This guy says, given a few mutations while away, these germs could punch holes in our natural defences and start an astrodemic oh. of men or animals or plants. The moon plague. The moon plague. Imagine yeah. if that had happened. Mm. So although it's almost certainly all for nothing, scientists are going on the assumption that the moon is covered in the plague itself and have designed a fantastically elaborate series of security checks to keep it contained. That's quite bizarre, isn't it? Mm. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So they put on, they're on Splashdown, they're given bio-isolation bio garments that completely envelop them and the suits are fitted with masks to trap any organisms they might breathe out. Then they're rushed off to Houston to be sealed up. They must have been pretty 
pretty bored. Yeah, yeah. They would have been bored. Although they had a 40 room uh, sort of play area. They had, <laughs> 40 room play yeah, area. Well, it was, like it was, a, it was a, a ball pit. It was a gigantic. Some swings, they jumping had, castle. I'll, I'll have you know there was a lounge <laughs> with books and television, games room, table tennis, debriefing room, and a glass wall through which the prisoners can talk to their families and friends. So it wasn't all sitting around being experimented on or you know being tested. Mm. There was you know a bit of winding down time and a bit of fun to be had. Doesn't mention grog, but I'm guessing they might have had a few champagne, Budweiser or two. Yeah, you, you got you got to imagine. So the place uh, was ringed with sanitary precautions: all body wastes, steam heated before disposal in a central in a central containment facility. Used air was filtered and burnt to be steri- uh, to sterilise it further. They were taking no chances. No chances. No, not at all. What if there's a movie in that? Mm. It'd probably be pretty boring. Maybe. It would be pretty boring. So the idea was that if nothing untoward happened while they were in there, the astronauts and their fellow prisoners would be given their freedom after two weeks. Their fellow prisoners were their cooks and um, there were quite a few staff personnel in there. So they'd be given their freedom after two weeks if they didn't come down with some nasty moon virus. In May, two months before the moon landing, an Australian TV writer reviewed the moon for us, courtesy of Apollo 10, so the previous one. It was most perturbing on Saturday night to see a full moon on television and only half one up in the sky. Of course, we Australian-bound mortals we're looking at it from a different angle from the Apollo 10 television camera crew's view. We certainly had our closest and clearest look at it live to boot on channels 9, 7 and 2. So they broadcast this moon. before the, yeah, the moon. <laughs> you could have walked outside and seen it. You could only see half of it out your window. Half of it out, your, out of your window. Instead, you can watch it on a crappy little black and white TV. Well, it wouldn't make much difference if it was in colour. That is true. Good point. The uh, TV review of the moon went on to say, In black and white, the moon looked rather like an omelette on a black floor. It is fast losing its mystery and romance. Gee, a bit of a sad thing to jaded, say. isn't it? Two months before the moon landing, yeah. nobody composes songs about omelettes for the hit parades. He's got a point. It may have been more interesting in colour, the TV reviewer said. Are but you kidding me? No. It may have been more... He, he did... Uh, Wow, really? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, you really don't like this guy, do you? I just think he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it may have been more interesting in colour. How so? Like all those other wonderful colour photos you see of the moon. Yeah. Where all, it brings out all of the... Yeah, the multicoloured moon. Yeah, all the brings out the entire spectrum. Can have a red moon, but I don't think... I don't think you would have got a red moon from yeah. space. Look, I think to, he was taking poetic licence to lead into his next point, which was that a lot of people use this as a travelogue because there was quite the run-on all of a sudden for trips to the moon. He, he reports. Last Thursday, this day tonight, the, current, the old Current Affairs show, ran an item about Australians who have been put on Pan America's waiting list for a flight to the moon. And since they're then, still... And they're still waiting. How's that? Well, he, goes, he says, since then, about 20 inquiries have been received by the company's booking office in Melbourne alone. A spokesman said yesterday... The Pan Am does not accept phone bookings for reservations on any of their projected aerospace division flights. He said commercial moon flights might be made in about 10 years. So far, the waiting list exceeds 13,000. And Pan Am's gone. Pan Am's gone. 50 years on, 
They're still saying we're about 10 years away. Of course, the airline that was featured in 2001 mm. doing space travel was Pan Am. Was it? Mm -hmm. I fell asleep, so I was, I was snoozing <laughs> through that. I missed that little detail. Speaking yeah. of movies, Buzz's favourite space movie. It's not 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. George Melius, A Voyage to the Moon. Is that the one with the, where the moon gets the, the it, ship stuck in its eye? It is. Oh, wow. Is that really his favorite? No, oh, no. I was going to no, say. It's a great guess, though. Great guess. Yeah. No, in 2014, Buzz said Gravity. Was Gravity. Most, yeah. Was a great film. Yeah. Most realistic space movie, Buzz said. Mm. Most realistic he'd ever seen, even if some of the scenes are a bit over the top. I do like the fact also that the year after the moon landing, mm. Australia awarded the Apollo 11 astronauts the highest Australian honour. So they won the special gold Logie for providing TV's greatest moment in their moon telecast. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, I just find that so terrible with the Michael Collins. Gee, he's a... Mm. He's a, he's a bigger man than a lot of people, isn't he? Mm, yeah, well, yeah, he, he could have really kicked up a fuss about missing out on the Logie. I bet he was furious. While the moon landing was being celebrated, mm. back on Earth, the Vietnam War was raging on and it was not going particularly well. No, it was around this time that they were talking about withdrawing troops. It was a disaster. It was officially a disaster at this point, pretty much to most people, I guess. And there's something poignant about the fact that they had this success. They effectively invaded the moon for peace. Mm. Meanwhile, on the other side of the earth, they traveled. You know, the Americans had traveled across the globe and enlisted a bunch of other nations, including our own, to go to war against the communists, and so many lives are lost on so many sides and you can't help thinking that if you're a kid staring up at the moon that night with that news and your family's just been napalmed <laughs> it'd be hard to feel celebratory about the fact that the same mob very true had made it to the moon and left your home full of craters and mm. looking like well not magnificent desolation just a few weeks before the moon landing at the end of June, Life magazine produced one of its most controversial cover stories. It was called The Faces of the American Dead in Vietnam, One Week's Toll. And it was page after page after page of photos of the 242 American GIs who died in the space of one week. Mm. And I think probably as, as much as a uh, lot of protests, this probably did bring home the human cost mm. to middle America. Yeah, yeah. The moon was a lovely distraction, I guess you could say. To some extent, I guess it was, yeah. Mm. There was certainly bad news out of Vietnam that week for an Australian girl called Kathy Wayne, who was a 19-year-old pop singer who'd gone to Vietnam to entertain the troops. And about nine hours before the eagle landed on the moon and she was shot dead on stage while singing for American Marines. Shot mm. dead by an American Marine. Mm. A man was subsequently arrested, mm. charged, court-martialed, given 20 years, and then on appeal was found to be not guilty. Uh, whether he actually did it or not is open to question. But Kathy Wayne died 50 years ago this week mm. and she never received any justice. And her story kind of got a little bit lost, I guess, in the 
week of you know moon well, news. Yeah, when entire front pages are taken up with moon landing. Even right. Vietnam got pushed off the front That's page. That's right. Well, Kathy Wayne on she died at, you know, before the moon landing. Yeah. But her death wasn't reported until a day after the man on the moon war type front page headlines. Yeah, and when you think about what sort of story it would take to get it, like, that's incredible. Tragic. Mm. And such a strong Australian link to yeah. Vietnam. But also in that same newspaper, mm. we've got two Australian soldiers killed and 22 wounded by landmines outside mm. Nui Dat, which gives us the famous red gun line, Frankie kicked a mine the day that mankind kicked the moon. Mm. Um, God help him, he was going home in June. Well, yeah, except he wouldn't have been going home he in June. Have been. He would have been 11 months away from going home. But, yeah, but the, the writer of the song has actually said, yeah, I realised that, but it, you know, it sounded better than maybe moon he was going home. <laughs> moon doesn't rhyme with August. <laughs> That's right. He could have said he was going home so soon or he, he was going have. home real soon. That would have sounded possibly a bit too American. Yeah. But we're anyway, splitting hairs we are splitting about hairs. a, a great very song. powerful message. Very powerful yeah, message. Very powerful song about, especially, particularly about the age of these guys. The other thing that's extraordinary to me in terms of the timing and what an immense week this was, that the 1960s began with the new young president, John F. Kennedy, mm. declaring that by the end of the decade, the United States would put a man on the moon. He was then obviously assassinated. Robert Kennedy in 1968 was then killed when he was leading the polls to be the next Democratic pres presidential candidate. Robert Kennedy's campaign was being supported by a, a group of women who were known as the Boiler Room Girls. And these girls were, you know, manning sort of, you know, officers, campaign officers. And one of them, Mary Jo Kopechny, was actually also writing some of Robert Kennedy's speeches or co-writing them. She was mm. only 28 years old, 29 years old. In, in the couple of days before the moon landing, the Boiler Room Girls got together with Edward Kennedy, the last of the Kennedy brothers. Edward Kennedy at this point was tipped to be the Democratic presidential candidate in 1972. He got together with the Boiler Room Girls. They had a party, they drank a lot, and then he drove Mary Jo Kopechny off a bridge. Hmm. He swam to safety, she sank and drowned. He did not report the accident. He. Uh, behaved quite terribly in he terms of... He had home dead, just crashed out dead drunk. Right? Well, he actually alerted some some friends who then advised... Eventually. Ad, ad, well, he eventually... Well, he, no, he alerted some friends straight after it. Right. And they went into damage control and they told him to call the authorities, which he didn't do, uh, until literally the next day as they were plucking her out of the water... And the diver said that she had been found, the car flipped on its roof in the, mm. the bottom of the river in Chappaquiddick, and she was found uh, mm. sort of, you know, clawing at the the place where you normally put your feet because there'd been an air bubble there. Oh. And they say that she could have survived between two and four hours. So if he'd gone to the authorities immediately, she yeah. might have lived. And then, of course, you know, his political career, in terms of presidential politics at least, was pretty much over. He did announce shortly after that he would not be seeking the nomination in 1972. And then as late as 1980, when he did try, uh, this still haunted him and uh, he was done. I mean, he, he remained, he went on to be a senator and was known mm. as the line of the Senate. So he did have a long political career. But in terms of the hopes of getting another Kennedy brother into the White House, mm. it was over. Yeah. Yeah.
well and truly with that. Mm. Yeah. And but, so he he never, he never, but he never faced any charges other than, you know, uh, leaving the scene of an accident and that was about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the theory... If he was not a Kennedy, you've got to imagine uh, justice would have taken its course. Yes, you would think so. One of the people who was flown in to do damage control was Robert McNamara, one of the architects right. of the Vietnam War. Yeah. Uh, but obviously the uh, theory is or the, the speculation is that he was drunk and was not going to go to the authorities until he was sober. But, you know, when he, when he got back to his hotel at 3 o'clock in the morning, he went out and did some clothes washing so he would be seen by staff and have an alibi. So it was all rather calculated. Right. Also this week, mm. in the papers, Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger uh -huh. in the papers in two incarnations. Yes. One as the doting, penitent boyfriend of Marianne Faithful, mm. who was as man landed on the moon, still in hospital following her massive barbiturate overdose in Sydney. Which, right. uh, she'd been in hospital for over a week and uh, he was pictured with her on her first visit outside and she was looking happy and healthy, certainly looking a lot better than she had uh, a week earlier when a Sydney-based British freelance photographer dressed up as a doctor snuck into her room and took a photo of her face filled with tubes as she lay on death's door, which was then published around the world, oh. possibly a new low for journalism in Australia. So Mick was here to uh, make a movie. Mm. He was here to star as Ned Kelly, yeah. of all people. Of all <laughs> so apparently while he was here, Marianne walked in on him while he was, let's say, bushranging with another woman, bailing up another woman, and that's what led to her taking this massive overdose and oh, that kill herself. Oh, okay. Wow. So no, no wonder he was like making nice with her in this photo. Yeah. But the next photo we see of Mick. So she was more faithful than he was. He was, yes. Mm. He'd been very unfaithful mm. to faithful. Mm. So while man is landing on the moon, the story is coming out of the unluckiest bank robber I've ever read about. Mm. So this guy, Jeffrey John Laver, 25, was in court this week for robbing a bank back in November. So he walks into the Bexley branch of the Bank of New South Wales. He's disguised in theatrical makeup. Theatrical makeup? Mm -hmm. This isn't Mick Jagger. False mistake. <laughs> this could be Mick Jagger getting into character. Mm. It wasn't Mick Jagger getting into character. So he had theatrical makeup on, including false moustache, side levers, and sunglasses. Side levers. Side levers. Yeah, sideburns. Mm. So anyway, he points the sawn-off shotgun at a teller and the teller is starting to put the money into an overnight bag. The bank robber sees someone on the phone. He says, put that down or I'll blow your head off. But the person who was about to get shot was not a teller. So the bank manager had poked his head out, seen what was going on, coolly walked back into the office, picked up the office 38 revolver, walked out and coolly shot this guy. The guy drops the money and flees. So he's got a getaway car outside the bank. Right. But his own car with his girlfriend in it is parked a mile and a half away. Another bank teller has another gun, fires around at the getaway car as he drives off. He's burning along. He's seen by another motorist who follows him. Follows him to his own car with the girlfriend waits. How did the other motorist know that he'd done anything wrong? He just well, thought, I guess he's seen, he's seen this guy bleeding from a bullet wound, oh. run out of a bank and burn off in a car. Okay, so the motorist actually caught the whole... The yeah, motorist yeah, has got yeah, the gist yeah. of it. So he yeah. follows him yeah. and <laughs> as Laver pulls up next to his own car, gets out, 
the motorist runs into the back of the getaway car and wedges Laver against the door of his own car. So he's sustained a terrible bullet wound, so this a, is crush, a crushing injury, and now the week that mankind lands on the moon, he is in court. He's in court to be sentenced, and he gets 10 years. As the judge says, the bank manager and the other employees are awesome, and this guy deserved to be shot. The judge said, he shot you as you deserve to be shot. The judge also said he would have given him a longer sentence if he hadn't have been so badly injured. He was shot through the right side of the chest. Bullet passed through his lung and lodged near his armpit. So he was doing pretty well mm. to actually get out of the bank and behind the wheel of the car. When he got crushed in the, the car accident, he suffered massive fractures of his left leg. So he was really in a bad way. Yeah. But there is yeah. a happy ending. Oh, there is? Yeah. What's that? Good behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. He served three and a half years of his 10-year sentence. Mm -hmm. He then, I found this in a newspaper from 1975, he then moved to Melbourne. Mm. And I'm not sure whether he gave himself up or whether he was apprehended, but he was wanted there for three other bank robberies. Right. But the judge, knowing his story... Yeah. The fact that he'd been a model prisoner and gone through quite a lot of physical trauma mm. actually didn't put him back in prison, just ordered him to pay back the $16,000 that he'd stolen at the rate of $20 a week. Right. So I guess 16 years later, that would have been 1991, yeah. Jeff may have finally squared up with the law and society. I think that's all we have time for this week. The Wayback Week will return in September. Thanks for listening. And until then, remember, as Mick Jagger said, the past is a great place and I don't want to erase it or to regret it. But I don't want to be its prisoner either. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.